MFs, welcome back. Part two of the Bobby Schneider experience on Hustle Like You Broke. Talking to a true working class hero, 45 years in the industry, had a spirited discussion, already in the works, wanted to keep that going, keep Bobby on the line, don't want to cut our our interview short today, want to make sure he has his uh, perspective made clear, made known that we have really highlighted the tremendous work he's done in the industry. Um, we had a good time with Kyle, who uh, definitely got in his the other day, and I'm glad to uh, pick that up again. No commentary on the state of the world. It's fucked. We know that. I will only add to those out there who think it is inevitable that Trump will not get reelected. It is inevitable that Biden is the de facto uh, candidate. I, I, I mean, until until he is actually the candidate, part of me is holding out hope that something will happen. Not to him personally. I don't wish anything negative on anyone, but I, I can only hope at the convention. If I'm being totally honest, somebody says, "Um, maybe we should flip this ticket," and. Instead of Susan Rice as vice president, perhaps she should be the president or something like that. Because I, I realize I'm getting political and I said I wasn't going to do this. But to me, when the best campaign slogan that I can come up with right now is vote for Biden, he's got to be better than the other guy. That's really not what we want in a president. So as always, I'm joined by Dallas, Chris, Kyle. And again, Bobby, everybody's already been introduced. Welcome back, everybody. Do you want to do you want to uh, agree with, disagree with anything I just said before we jump right back into the the podcast? <laughs> no, no. Kyle, let me just let you run up at the mouth. I got you. <laughs> Hanging out to dry. Is that how yep. it is? Because, uh, you know, for every one person that's diagnosed, 10 people go undiagnosed. So, yeah, that makes the numbers a little bit higher than what you said. Bobby, I know you got my back on this. Please speak up. Talk to me. Uh, I mean, there is, if, if there's not a change, we're in fucking dire shit. Quite no, honestly. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree with that. I mean, I, let's let's look at it like this. Let's say any of us walked into any building and had to deal with even one-tenth the idiocracy um, that prevails, that leads not only our show, but, you know, at the end of the day, show's inconsequential. It's entertainment. These are people's lives. I mean, everything. Everything we've worked for, everything we hope the the world's going to be for our kids. I mean, America's a fucking laughingstock now. I mean... We were already hated in Europe and most of the world for all the shit that was done that we didn't even really, either didn't really know about unless we were well-read or well-informed. Um, uh, and, and it's been going on for years. But, I mean, that the just, it, it's, the, it's lunacy. And what, what, you know, I live near Oakland and there's protests. And my daughter is an activist and she goes to Smith College and she supports you know the gay community my daughter is a lesbian um 
her stepbrother is trans, right? And we and we grew up in Oakland. She was one of two white kids in her 200 person grammar school. And I mean, you know, so I've I've lived in that community and it's just it's I, I, and and I know that's not exactly what we were talking about, but the point is is that what's gone on now is it just breeds hate. It's okay to hate. It's okay to say this or you know to, to it's it, it our humanness is sl- in this country is slowly being taken away by examples of not fucking caring i mean biden might not be the best president um i mean there you know there could be numerous other choices the younger maybe you know aoc or or Whoever I don't know who the running mate's going to be, but you, it, it, if it continues the way it is, never mind COVID. Who knows what will come next? You know, so I'm 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 very afraid for our country. I really am. I'm afraid for what we're we're used to our our way of life because another four years, you know, there could be so much more stripped away that. And it's just the it's just the dread that you wake up with every day, right? I mean, I tried to stop reading the news when, you know, for a while. My my, I don't know you guys. My sleep's interrupted most of you know most of the time. It's just kind of gotten normal, maybe because of the barrage of everything. But I wake up and I, you know, um, I'm single now, so I mean, I wake up and I, you know, might sit in bed for a little bit and drink that first cup of coffee and. You know, I mean, it's very easy to fall down the, the 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 hatred rabbit hole of what's out there to look at and and what's out there to hear about and 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 then the jokes about the guy that's the president. I mean, he's a fucking moron. I I I mean, it, it's it's be if he was a stagehand, I would fire him. And I it's not in the state, and I don't even hire the stagehands. So. <laughs> I, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Enough said. Thank you, Bobby. Yes. I just hope that anything but Trump is enough of a motivator to get people to the polls. My fear is that Biden on his own is not. But we can leave that where it is. You've said you know more than enough. I certainly appreciate it. We are of like mind. I, I hope all of us are, but won't speak for the rest of us. Where we left off the other day, and let's just jump right back in, we were talking about how we would build a show. And we were talking about re- the reopening. We were talking about clusters and teams of people that would help build it. We were talking about more local resources than before. And you had also raised an interesting question, Bobby, to Dallas, asking about what catering would look like in the absence of a buffet. I mean, Dallas, I, I, I let's ask you, I mean, are we going to go back to buffet style catering? I guess we could have asked Shelly Lynn this when she was on the program, but what, what do you think? Are we going back to catering the same way? Is it going to be different? How are we going to do this? How are we going to keep not just catering, but the backstage safe? I think that's a loaded question. I mean, we have venues that don't even have the appropriate amount of bathrooms back a house when you're just building a show, you know, like just, and that's a physical building that literally, I mean, not to name any, but they really are buildings that don't have the amount 
of bottoms that should be available for those of us working back there. So that's a great question. Um, I'd like to believe, you know, we're hearing stories of people's temperatures going to be getting checked, walking into the venue, that, or some sort of health check's going to happen. So we'll presume that happens. And then let's say you're live and in the back of house area. I mean, obviously, we're probably going to have even more limitations on who can be there. Perhaps, you know, where in the past we might have shut down hallways at 4 p.m. when the artist was coming. Instead, we're going to shut down a lot sooner. We're going to, you know, insist on constant housekeeping throughout the entire time instead of being, and this is where budgets are going to be affected. And this is where people are going to start, you know, pressuring other areas. But I think we have to be considerate of that. You know, no more do I want to go into a bathroom, you know, in the early part of the morning where, oh, look, the soap dispenser's out again. Oh, look, the towels aren't there. Oh, gee. And then there's the toilet. You know, the, the building's been used the night before, nobody bothered to clean it, or they thought they'd wait until we'd been in the building for four hours. You know, these are real situations that we deal with always. So let's hope all that improves as an obvious fact. And then the question of catering. And with that, I think, first of all, the limitations of there's not going to be a fruit tray in the production office or a veggie tray. That's going to be the first thing that disappeared. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Is Bobby going to get his baguette, Dallas? I think that's important you know, to know. I think only if it comes in a sealed container of some sort. Or it would be in a sealed bag from source. the bakery, brand new jar right. of jam. I'm good. Exactly. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> as long as Bobby's good. Yeah. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. No, no. And, um, but yeah, of course, the question becomes, you know, how do you control a dining room? Well, like Kyle has mentioned, you're going to have to adamantly control the cleaning of the hands. So now let's take the local crew. They get 30 minutes to stop what they're doing, go wash up and get into catering, eat their meal, pull their plate, eat their meal, perhaps wash up again or have a breather, use a loo or whatever, and then get back to work. Well, how are we going to do that? We barely do it in the 30 minutes that we've allotted to start with. So that's going to have to be addressed. We're going to have to come up with better cleaning systems. And now the actual food. Well, again, you know, I think this puts an extra burden on touring caterers because I think now, you know, for unfortunately, we're going to have to lean more on the venue itself with permanent type structure. Um, obviously, plexiglass is going to be your friend. Perhaps, you know, there's going to be if we're serving food in restaurants, we obviously can serve food in this environment. But I think it's going to lean more sadly on the actual physical house catering, which is already normally compromised. As we all know, it's not the best food. Um, and I think it's going to make touring caterers that a real challenge as we move forward with this. Um, but I think in there, and then you're going to have to deal with the municipal health codes and every jurisdiction is going to be different, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, you obviously, and then the whole thing of disposable cutlery, maybe disposable plates, that becomes more expensive again. You know, all these things add up. Um, but I think that's in a nutshell. And then I think also let's think about showers. And let's also think about, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've loaded out. We're now, you know, crews are trying to get a towel. Um, we need to make sure we're going to have to put the burden on the venue to provide really clean towels. You know, where in the past, you know, we all know there's there's a kind of an interesting rate of towels. Not my towels. Um, not your towels, of course. No, never your towels. <laughs> but you know, if rock and roll laundry, everybody rock and roll right. laundry. If you're depending on the venue for towels, it's definitely different. 
But Dallas, isn't it not just the towels? It's also the cleanliness of the showers themselves. Absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to be one of the last people to shower in the venue. I as think it if, is. The tour, if, if the tour can afford it, one thing is that you would you would have some. If the tour can afford Night it, staff. somebody will be appointed, and if it couldn't afford it, somebody would probably be appointed as a health officer. I think there needs to be some training done and available to people like myself. Um, like, like Christine, you know, that we, as much as we usually work on common sense, which it doesn't really seem the rest of the fucking world does, um, that, you know, for, what do you mean we can't use that bathroom? I mean, we've had to do all kinds of things. I mean, to, you know, and you have to deal with the physical space, you know, it is, it is what it is. It's not, you know, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, you you're. It's going to be more important. And you have showers or showers, towels, and the buses. I mean, you know, the buses are talking about putting sanitizers in on the roof. You know, removing. I don't know if they're going to remove air conditioners or whatever. But I mean, they're talking about doing. No, they filter it through the air conditioning right. or something, right? They they sometimes right. sanitize the air right. through the filtration. I mean, but, 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 but the truth is that here's the one thing. The one thing is that we as a group of touring the way we usually do, and we have all worked on some big tours, no tour like that is really going to be able to move. I don't believe truly until there's some kind of vaccine or some kind of decline to where either there's, you know, hurting or, you know, what, what, people are, are not continually getting sick because you can do it another way, but you're going to be very limited to how many people you can travel. There has to be hard decisions based on, you know, uh, how many people are on the bus. I mean, you know, how, how you do catering. And that, that team, whatever that team is, they all truly have to work together and somebody has to be, everybody has to be aware of health. Everybody has to say something. Um, and, you know, on the shit we do with, you know, with Christine, what, you know, I mean, on a small scale and on like, you know, a normal arena run, we're probably carrying with drivers. We could easily have 60 people to deal with that we're responsible for. And then, maybe another hundred that are in the venue that, you know, we're coming into contact with. I mean, that's, and doing it night to night when you're tired and, you know, you know, you know, you start to get diminished, right? You're tired. You just want to eat something. Maybe you're not as careful to wash your hands. The environment we're in with this, and you don't want to call it a spike, Kyle, don't call it a spike with a lot of fucking people getting sick. And people getting sick from each other through contact because it's proven that most of uh, the the way you get sick is is direct contact inside for a prolonged amount of period. Um, or sneeze is the worst thing. Someone sneezes, it travels for twenty feet. They say, um, and you're you know we're locked up in these in these offices. I mean, there's no windows. There's poor ventilation. I mean, we might have to carry different equipment. We might have to do our own temperature checks and we have to monitor each other. And then what happens if I, if we travel from city A to city B, city B, um, you know, the stage manager gets sick or, you know, I mean, look, if, if someone from the lighting crew or the sound crew or the video crew gets sick, but let's say it's, it's like 
let's say it's Kyle or Chris. I mean, you know, <clears throat> do you have to ha- you have to do you have to have a backup engineer in order to do it? And what's the what happens when an artist gets sick or someone from the band? I mean, some of these things Christine and I have done. I mean, we you know, 14, 20 people in the band on on the stadium run. I mean, and they're all closed in together, singing in microphones and everything. I mean, it's a petri dish. So I don't believe it's going to go back to big touring until there's some kind of medical thing. I think that it's going to have to be smaller shows and we're going to have to build up to that. And I think we all have to be grateful for the work. But Kyle, we were talking about it last week. I don't know if it was this week or last week. And you were talking about a show you did and you didn't name names, which is fine. I'd be interested and we can do that offline. But here's the thing. You can't accept that. You know, I mean, I guess if you need the money bad enough, you can grin and bear it and make jokes about it. But if it were me, and I mean, obviously, if it were me, I'm going to be in a situation to try to be able to control that. But let's say we roll into a city together and none of what the venue is supposed to do has been done. There's no there's no one there doing the temperature check. They haven't. They haven't cleaned the catering room. The bathrooms are dirty. Um, Stagehands aren't wearing masks. I mean, I kind of have the right to go, you know what? We're not fucking playing. I'm not unloading this truck. And that's a different dynamic. You can do that when it's your production. This wasn't the, this wasn't our production person. Would it have made a difference? If you, if you had just said, I refuse to work under these conditions, I'm going home. What would that be like? Uh, probably would have been catastrophic because they needed everything that I that I was there with. But I, Do you think I, that maybe they'd have done something about it if you had said, look, man, I'm not putting myself or my family or my co-workers at risk. You fucking fix this or I'm not touching anything. I, I'm not saying that. Look, I can't speak no, I for you. With, That's, I, agree with, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, but it, it was... You never the been that, a, you never been a man that ever backed down from anybody, far as no, I know. And I don't. And but this, I I made light of it with the person who was supposed to be doing it, and he still never did anything. So I'd expose that, that point, shit, man. I'd be like, hmm, you might you I might mean, not want to tell we, me who we, that is because I'll we probably talk off, expose. We talk off air. I mean, it, it, we'll talk off air. You'd be like, oh wow, okay. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, look, let's let's not even talk about the past because obviously can't do anything. And I wasn't there. I can just say that all of us, whatever we go into, we've got to establish guidelines that we're a team. We all have to agree on them. I, I hope that my little group is going to go back to work sooner than any of the big. And they don't do really big stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, they do, they do arenas. I mean, you know, it's it's seven trucks. It's, you know, it's definitely smaller. But I mean, they, you know, we, we tour with the core crew where we use local stuff. I mean, there's, there's nine of us and we all work very hand in hand. And, and, you know, for me, I mean, I would accept nothing less. I I mean, I know with that group that if I called the manager and said, look, I just got here and there's no one doing temper and they're not doing this and they're not doing that. They're not doing that. And I'm not unloading the truck and don't bring the band here. He would be, you're right. And I think that we need to, I think we need to do that. I think we, and, and if this is going to teach us anything, uh, as well as what's, you know, I, I, I do want to, I know we're, we're talking a lot here and as I'm watching the clock, 
you know, I, I really would like to also touch on all the disparity and Black Lives Matter and people of color and because it's part of the change. You know, I, I, I don't know that they're connected, but some, and I'm going to just jump off doing shows again because I think it's going to be common sense and a set of values we're going to do. But I think that our set of values needs to be reinstilled. I think COVID knocked everyone the fuck out and people realized that shit could go away really quickly. And everything they depended on and believed was like, oh, shit, a flu can just do this? Yeah. I mean, you know, Mother Nature is a motherfucker. And then people started getting pissed off. And I truly believe that the fact that people have had some time to think about their lives and work from home and homeschool their kids and not have any money and see what's going on in in Washington, and hopefully it makes a difference in votes, definitely brought some unity to America and Black Lives Matter. And I mean, you know, I, I got to tell you, you know, I mean, I've been a, Kyle, you're a black man, Chris, you're a black man. Christine and I have worked for primarily hip hop and black artists, black bands. And you know what? I thought that I thought that I was different because I had spent enough time, but I realized that I didn't know shit. And that it 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 is I am about to put together a webinar on this where I'm gonna have, you know, people from that that have worked within in this community that are white and people that have, you know, that are black that already work in their own community in music and touring and talk about, you know, how that how that all unfolds and what what we don't even talk about. You know, we we are friends, you know, Kyle and I, and we're happy to see each other and we work together, we share a laugh, but um you know, it's, it's, you know, we create on the road for the most part of military friendships. I mean, it's a friendship of necessity, not saying that that's a bad thing and it doesn't carry through and it's no, no less meaning, but the, the, the truth is we don't live next door to each other. We don't talk every day. I mean, maybe we would, if we live next to each other, I don't know. The point is, is that it's brought about other change and it, it needs to, it needs to unfold itself People need to recognize that that is also part of our, our, uh, it's our industry. I mean, the music industry is a fucking lily white. I, I, it, it's, you know, and, and I mean, you know, most of them were white rock bands. I mean, so it's, I understand how it started, but it, that needs to change. And COVID's, believe it or not, COVID may have a silver lining. Maybe it's made people a little more human and a little more caring. And because that, maybe people got finally pissed off enough and said, I'm human. You're not going to treat me like that. And other people that maybe had just been recognizing it mildly now are going to do something about it. And I, and to me, that's the, that's, that's the forefront. And now we're going to go back and we're going to go back to work. And hopefully <coughs> we have developed a better respect for each other, um, <coughs> a, a more empathetic, you know, uh, you know, just, just a matter of being and just to be kinder because it will get things done because, you know, uh, the minute you, we go back on a building and we start arguing and we're expecting the worst and, 
you know, and, and that the stress levels rise up and we're still sort of fighting, uh, you know, possible COVID and tempers are flaring. It's, 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 uh, it's already, uh, we already live in an unhealthy environment. And for me, I want to change that. That's, that's what I, that's what I aim to do in touring now for, for myself. Um, I mean, I'll bring something up. I mean, and Matt knows about this and we, you know, we had this conversation, Matt, you know, we all work together on Kendrick. Uh, Dallas wasn't touring with us at this point, but Dallas knows this is how I try to work. I really tried to create an environment where people had enough time to do what they wanted. And I really wanted to prove by doing that, right. And by treating people, getting people sleep, people eating properly, staying in, in a little better hotel where you can afford it and just caring about people, right? Just actually giving a shit that the work was better and that it would be more efficient and that people would be happier and the show would be better because the artists would walk in and people would be smiling and not arguing, not backstabbing, right? And people have a better day. They sleep better. Maybe they eat a little better. All of this unfolds, and I mean, it sounds a little hippie-ish and a little utopian, but I don't give a fuck. I mean, it's the truth. And that's where we all have to go now. That's That needs to be at the forefront of what we do, because we're never going to beat what COVID has brought to us. We're never going to beat racism and what that's brought to us, unless we all recognize that this is all part of the big picture. Do any of you understand that? Maybe there's a created connection between a pandemic and now what's going on with social justice. Do any of you agree to any? I'm just interested in what your opinions are. I'll, I'll jump in on that first. And I will say that uh, I've actually used a phrase on this podcast and, and I've, I've joked with a few people that in our, in the reality of this world is that, COVID-19 is a pandemic just as the treatment of black people in America is also a mistreatment rather is a pandemic. The real pandemic in this world is ignorance. And I think that's what ties it all together. In my opinion, ignorance is the real pandemic. Ignorance, the way we have treated this COVID-19 in this country or, or mistreated the way we have treated or mistreated you know, black people with the way we have historically mistreated women. Um, you know, it's, it, it's all born out of ignorance and fear. And that's, that's what I would say to that. So I, I want to back it unless anybody else wants to jump in on that. I actually want to back it up. Dallas, yeah, Chris, Kyle, any I thoughts along it, those it lines? I think it calls everybody to kind of address it. You know, the world was stopped. So people were forced to, to, to deal with it. You know, if we had been working and, and everything had been going around, then I don't think that it would have had this kind of impact. Because people were at home and, and watching their television and looking at their phones, that people were forced to, 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 to have a conversation and to, to talk about it, to deal with it. If it hadn't been for the pandemic, it would have blown over just like any other killing that's happened. I think you're right about that. So uh, let's actually back up a step. 
Now, Bobby, I love everything that you're saying, and I actually want to continue along those lines. But just to lend some additional perspective to our viewers who don't know you and, and don't know us that well yet, um, all of us individually, collectively. Um, now, Bobby, the first time I met you, you may not remember, but I remember distinctly, it was a Third Eye Blind show at Babson College. And I don't know what the circumstances were exactly, but within 30 seconds of meeting, you said, we need to have a conversation. And you pulled me up onto your bus and you and Steven sat there grilling me for like an hour, or at least it felt that way about the way that this show should go and what you wanted to see happen. And that was literally the first time I met you. And I was like, wow, this guy is a fucking ball buster. But I came to appreciate, of course, that you just, you have expectations. You have a certain set of expectations of how you want things to go and the way you want to work. And I remember later as I was looking for a production manager to bring on board for Kendrick, I was talking to a friend about a couple of people and he said, what about Bobby Schneider? And out of curiosity, I didn't see this in your bio, but did you work with Jane's oh, addiction yeah. at yeah. a certain point? Yeah. You did. Okay. I, I think that that's missing from your uh, CV, or at least I didn't see it. Because James is my favorite band people. of all time. A little something about great me. And uh, yeah, and, and absolutely. And I remember talking to this person. He said, what about Bobby? And I said, my God, every time I've ever worked with him, the guy busts my balls. And he's like, maybe. But I provided some equipment for a show that James did in Baltimore not long ago, Bobby was with them and it was the smoothest, smoothest load in and load out I have seen in a long time. And it got me thinking, okay, might be different circumstances if he's my boss <laughs> as opposed to busting my balls. And my point being, you know, you've, you have, as we've discussed done so many of the jobs involved in coming up as a touring guy. You have been hands-on in your approach. You, you've obviously evolved as a human who, who has admitted already on this podcast that you are uh, perhaps less aggressive and more zen in your approach now. But you also have very high standards. You're conscientious. You talk about the importance of Black Lives Matter and the connection between, you know, what's happening there and our industry. And um, I, I think it speaks to a larger whole. So as we're talking about reopening, I mean, let's be real now. Say that we're, let's be positive and say that we're coming back. But let's say that we are coming back before everybody has been you know, provided the vaccine. So there's still some risk. I want to know what positions are we adding? And I want to know how we are being cost conscious about sourcing local resources and being more careful to mitigate the areas where we have to spend more in order to counterbalance that with areas where we could potentially save. And I, and I realize that's a loaded question, but I will also say for the record and to your credit that I've often said to, to other people that 
when I don't know where to find something in the world, the one person I know who will have the answer or know who to call to get it is Bobby so, Schneider. And further so, humbled. Um, and, and, all, and all very <laughs> pertinent questions. And it's actually stimulated, you know, me to think. I mean, my perspective, as I said right now, is, you know, I'm fortunate to, enough to work with the Pentatonic. So I'm going to just say right now or the nicest people I've ever worked for and their mandate to me when they hired me is that we we don't want any drama we we want to come in and we want to see people happy and I said I can do that so I've thought a lot about how this might unfold I think I honestly do feel that touring with 18 trucks um, and 10 buses or six buses or whatever it amounts to and that many people and that many stagehands will be um, the only way that could happen possibly is if there was a setup day everywhere because you would have less people interacting with building the show. You, as far as the food, you know, Christy and I thought about this a little bit. I think, I think people's plate ought to be served to them. I think people ought to sit down at a table and a waiter need waiter. Some they're going to, they'll get a choice on what to get. They're going to be, a, maybe they're assigned a seat to where they're sitting at a table. Um, and, you know, they're going to be asked, did you order meat fit? Just like a wedding. And they're not going to touch anything. They're going to just touch their plate, their silverware, which they're welcome to wipe down if they want to. Right. I mean, you know, and they're going to be hopefully sitting with people that is in their, in their network we'll call it because it's not really a social network that might be a way to do bigger touring but i i think that people could just pick it up i think you have to you have to look at local production because maybe you travel with less people um you know then that that's a that could be a downside too i mean we need to study this because if you if you're coming in to an arena and you know there's four guys there from a local lighting company as well as maybe the stagehands then maybe you're exposing your crew to that so maybe that all goes in the day before and those people pretty much work together so your your interaction as i was saying last week with local crews with numbers of stagehands is limited and if you have more time to do it maybe we can't be on the same breakneck schedule that we only have 30 minutes to eat Maybe, maybe everybody has to, you know, we can't, I mean, 30 minutes is ridiculous in the best, in the best sense. So maybe every meal break becomes an hour. So people have time to wash their hands, sit down, be served a meal, eat. They don't touch the plate. They don't bust anything. They walk away. The, the, the staff actually takes the plates up. They're wearing gloves. They're wearing masks. And they are the ones that are, are dealing with it. Another, another instance of maybe adding a, a, a layer. I think the tour has to, has to carry or a point and has to get training because I started to take a first day, uh, um, a Red Cross um, COVID-19 class, but it was, I stopped doing it because it wasn't really about how you, you know, your the health and safety and, the, and how you can catch it and how to prevent it. I read a lot. It was more about the psychology of somebody having it, but Somebody needs to be appointed. That's a health and health and safety officer. I mean, it's it's pretty common in in Europe. You don't tour with one, but you know you have to do a book and you have to do you know risk assessment and all of that. 
so that you know what you're getting into. So we roll into city, and maybe if we could afford it, maybe the person would fly ahead. Maybe there'd be two of them, and they would leapfrog on a big tour, and they would be the ones that get to the venue first. They'd make sure that the temperature checks were in line, that the building was following the right protocols for us to be able to even come in. And on a smaller scale with like, you know, for instance, the group I work with now, I mean, you know, we, we, we typically have a fairly, we don't do a lot of back-to-backs um, unless they're multiples. So I think, you know, on a smaller scale, I mean, I, if there was time, I mean, what if you don't, you know, if you work people for, you know, five hours and they were given a two hour break to go, to go away and everybody maybe went to their room and had room service or went to the hotel and sat down. There, there's a lot of different ideas on how to, on, on how to create it. But my point is basically it has to be teamwork. There have to be protocols that are going to written for, I mean, people are just kind of making it up. It sort of feels like it's like, it's sort of the forefront. When I started doing this at 15, I mean, there were no rules. I mean, people were inventing shit how, how it happened. It's going to be a little bit of that, too. And I think we're, we're going to need to look for some leaders on what, what protocols are established. And I think that's as important as that's the only way to go back to work safely. So on a smaller scale, I think a smaller scale is a good time to establish the protocols. These drive-in shows that are going on, we all need to study. I mean, what did they do for production? What, what did they set up? What was the interaction with the stagehands and, and the, you know, the few trucks of stuff that, that come in and out every day? How is all that handled? Will people get sick after these, after these shows, right? I mean, it seems like it's safe for the audience. Um, you know, I mean, they are, they're in their own confined space. They're single-use bathrooms. They're cleaned. I mean, they're outside. But that's not sustaining. I mean, I think all that is... And and I I had a I, I heard this on a I was no I was talking to a manager about this. It's just keeping the brand alive. That all of these shows aren't really going to make money for Live Nation. They're probably not really going to make money for uh, you know for for the acts. I mean you know, they'll make some. I'm sure they're not doing it for free. But the point is, is that it keeps the brand alive. It keeps people interested in music and. And from that, we're going to learn a little bit more. So maybe the next step are theaters. And then the next steps are, are possibly half-filled arenas, but it's the finances. So, I mean, are you guys ready to work for less if the, if the situation dictates it and you feel that it's fair because an act that sold 16,000 tickets now sells 5,000 and that you need a day between I- each show? Are you going to say, well, no, that's not fair. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'm not going to sell myself short, but I'll be out there. I hear you and respectfully understand what you're saying. But I think, you know, like in my case, I don't think I'm giving a deal to start with. You know, it's like I'm (laughs) there's not a lot of window of room from what I'm being paid. Why should I have to forfeit yet again? You know, I, I, I think we need to find other areas to save money, not save it off the backs of the crew. You know, I, well, and that was the second half of my question to, to Bobby. So it, are you saying the only way to mit- mitigate those additional expenses is for the, the, the hardworking 
working class heroes to take a pay cut? Like I said before, I I think think we need to take the profits. I I think realistically, I mean, whether it's fair or not, I think it's going to happen. Have any of you read the the Live Nation mandate about you know how what they're going to how they're going to treat acts? It's the artist, though. That's the artist. Listen, artists can choose not to work with them, and I'm not saying they won't. Sure, not saying it's Uh, artists and managers and agents will still work with them. They're just not going to accept those terms. That I'm sorry that that. We can talk about that all day long, and I was planning on never bringing that up on the podcast, but the reality, in my personal opinion, is that was a bluff. It was a smokescreen. It was written for, I mean, it was written with the best of intentions, but it was also written for stockholders. It was posturing yeah, it was at its finest, and I don't see- I said it was that? also keeping the brand alive. Maybe, but they're, they've already started backing off of it. And, you know, agents are already saying, uh, no, just because you say that doesn't mean that that's the deal that I'm going to bring back to my client. And I just, I, I'm sorry. I'll, oh, no, I'll no, shut no, up listen, in a second. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm in I, I no way, I'm in no way saying that that, that is going to be the protocol. My point is, is that things are going to change. Right. And I'm so, not saying, I'm not saying thing. it's I, fair I'm, that any crew member, myself, you, Anybody in this call, any of the listeners take a pay cut. My point is, is that to a certain degree, if I'm doing less work, if I'm doing a smaller tour, if I understand the economics of it are different and I'm offered a reasonable, I make shitloads of money sometimes and sometimes I make less money and it all depends on the size of the tour. If I go and do, I mean, a smaller theater tour, I'm going to make less than I do a stadium tour. So I'm just saying that the economics may or may not change. I knew Live Nation wasn't going to keep that protocol all the way through. I mean, no one's going to. And, and a lot of that was written for a lot of that was written for uh, festivals. And, and in the end, it sort of changed from its altruistic view of everybody getting back to work. I'm just saying that we're going to see changes. We're going to need to add people as we discussed. And I don't think it's fair that everybody's going to take a pay cut, but I do believe to start with, there's going to be a little less money on the table because I think acts are going to make I think less you're right about all. I, I think you're right about all that. And, and again, I, I think that's all of us are and should be resistant to the extent that we can band together, which does beg another question. I do want to ask you about, and you, you referenced, the need for, you know, select, you know, individuals to step up and kind of roll out certain regulations or what have you, or or alluded to that point. I I am curious your thoughts on whether there should be more of a quote unquote governing body, whether there should be some sort of unionization, whether there should be some actual standards and practices and not just best intentions. I told Jim Digby, point blank that I, I agree with and align with philosophically most of what they are saying, if not all of it. But it begs the question, are these best practices? Are they, as he would say, reasonable practices? Or are they just nice thoughts? Because at the end of the day, it takes the promoters, the managers, the agents, the production managers, the tour managers, and every single person on the tour to subscribe to the philosophy 
or it's just a good idea that didn't actually yeah, come true. Just as in Kyle's point, so, it's just a good idea. And, exactly. and, I, and I'm, so, I'm so really what do we glad do? you asked me about that because part of the conversations and this has been on Facebook, so it's no, and, and I don't know really completely where I stand on it. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't agree with it nor disagree, but I'm in conversations um, uh, of younger, a younger, you know, set of crew, not, you know, not, not people my age have talked about creating a union and working under IATSE. And part of it is to make sure that protocols that are supposed to be followed are followed and that they're, and they're, and they have someone to go back to, right? If there's a problem. And it's not so much of trying to, um, I mean, people need to be paid fairly all the time. So I just want to state that, again, I never said people should be working for half the money. I'm just saying that there may be not into the profits, not into people's pockets. Kyle is of the impression that these artists are still be making bank in the multiple millions, which in some cases may be true, but in others may not. So just to clarify his position, he's saying in an art, if an artist was going to walk home with 10 million, they could still walk home with eight or 9 million and pay everybody they could, the same. But they all won't. And you know that. And you, and you have a choice of whether you want to do it or not. And people have to, that's, that's so part of what these, what, what their union is talking about is creating a chapter that's, that's touring personnel. And you would pay some dues. You would be able to get health care. You would have, you know, you would have an arbitrator if you needed something like that. And there would be some protocols because what's going to happen, just like it happens on other tours. You know, most of us on this call are blessed with not having to travel in a van. I've never traveled in a van on a on a touring thing. I mean, I've done my own truck driving and all of that, playing clubs, but I've never had to travel in a van you know, sleep, you know, four or five to a room or do anything like that. I have no idea what that even would be like. Um, <clears throat> but the, you know, the, the less a tour has money, um, the more corners are going to start to get cut. And that's just the truth. And unfortunately, I think the smaller tours are going to be sort of the first ones that are back because there'll be less people and it'll be clubs and they'll be easier to take advantage of some of those acts. And I think that um, I think that having some guidelines to follow is not a bad idea. Having health care, making sure you're paid a living wage, knowing and, 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 and having enough of a nucleus of, of people that are all on these on the same page and say, no, we don't do that. You can't hide. We can't do that. You know, standing up, not taking those jobs if you could afford it. Um, and and having some kind of, I mean, let's call it what it is, like call it like it's brotherhood, right? It's brotherhood and sisterhood. It's looking after each other. I mean, you know, unfortunately, the music business is a backstabbing fucking place, and uh, it will be le- it will have to be less so. So, I I I am happy to expand on what these conversations have been. I haven't been hired by them. I don't advocate for them. But I know that the younger people that have come to me and asked me to listen to what they've had to say, you know, these are all, pe- all you know, people half my age. I'm 60. They're all in their 30s. 
you know, and they're, you know, experienced. Maybe they have five, six, seven years of experience, probably, if that, five years, whatever, depending on their age. I mean, I think it's a good idea. And I think that we can all follow suit. That's why I say we all have to talk. And I don't, you know, Jim Digby will be at the forefront of this with the Event Safety Alliance. But, you know, it's kind of like politics in Washington. If we're not careful, people are going to take this for their own good. You know, when Memorial Day came around and all those parties that you all saw a picture of, you know, party in the Ozarks or wherever it was. I read an article, and I'm not going to, and, and it was um, uh, it was Mike Strickland from Bandit Lights was talking about that's, you know, if they can do this, that'll be our litmus test, whether we can go back to work and do concerts. And I see the same comparison to thousands of people in the street doing protests that are rubbing up against each other, most of whom are wearing masks, but I've seen plenty of them not wearing masks. And the mask doesn't really completely prevent you from getting sick. It just lessens your chances, right? Um, And I saw it as it made sense to me, but, you know, it was, uh, but it was proven. I mean, people have gotten sick. We're not ready to go back and do big concerts, not in this state. And I don't know how we could do the big ones now. I really don't. I don't know how you could do a I lost coach, you know, we, we lost Coachella this year. I, I do bottle rock every year. I lost that. I lost a festival in Sacramento. I big part of my business now is doing shows. I do an Amazon TikTok sponsored college event um, where, you know, we do, I don't know, 10,000 kids at, at on college campuses. That's all shut down. I mean, so, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really do it. it it's, it's going to be tough to come back in a big way. Well, that was a doomy and gloomy close to an interesting point that I wholeheartedly agree with. Otherwise, not, I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but people uh, want entertainment We're we are, I'll say the one thing we are an innovative bunch and we're smart and there's too many of us and too many acts and, it's a billion dollar a year business and it's not going to let, it's not going to be let go. So the, the good part is it's going to come back. It might come back slow. The bad part is not the bad part. We all just need to look out for each other. So yeah, maybe there will be a governing body, you know, Matt, maybe you, maybe you're, you know, you're influential man, you're smart. Maybe you'll be at the forefront of it. I mean, someone's got to take the reins. Because, I mean, we can't all follow. I don't feel like we can all follow what a company says. I think we have to look out for each other as as the road crew. Because that's the level playing field. Well, I appreciate that. I agree. I agree. And and I'm, I won't even speak to the concept of unionization myself. But I do agree that should be there should be a panel of experts that offer reasonable guidelines and expectations that are implemented and become the norm and become the standard and venues sign on and agencies sign on and promoters sign on and have representation so that everyone can once, twice, three times a year come together and say, this is what's happening and this is what we got to do about it. And this is how we want to move forward. 
And it can include some of the usual suspects, but it needs to include new ones too, because there's a certain point at which people are tired of hearing from, you know, the same people over and over again. And we have to make sure that the views that are represented are balanced and are respected and that people are actually willing to share and compare new ideas instead of just patting each other on the back and regurgitating the same ones and stuff in their pockets. I think, Bobby, you said earlier, those that will take advantage, treat it like Washington and politics. Um, I, I mean, again, which again relates back to conversation about presidential candidates, viability of certain people, you referenced AOC, and a wave of younger people coming up with new ways of thinking. And all of that needs to be considered and embraced and discussed and uh, figured out a way that we can move together in common cause. I think this is the start. There it is. Well, Bobby... I think now is a good time to start winding down. I do think we could go on for another hour or more. I, I absolutely would encourage you to come back, welcome you to come back, would encourage you not only to come back yourself, you could bring somebody with you that you think we should be talking to, and we could create a panel of sorts and advance these conversations, just thoughts to put into your head. I, I you know, I'm but, already, uh, if I'm you right, have, the wood's already burning. I already have a couple of ideas. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. You've, you've given me a, a platform to speak freely, have a little bit of humor, a little bit of love. Um, just want to say one thing. Uh, tomorrow is my daughter Sophie's 19th birthday, and uh, happy birthday! I never would I never would have even imagined. Happy birthday, Sophie! Happy birthday, Sophie. Thank you. And she is a source of that incredible is wisdom that she gives me. The little activist hippie that my girlfriend, my daughter, my girlfriend. <laughs> my girlfriend's also an activist. Well, that's great. Hippie, well. So. <laughs> Well, Bobby, before we go, you know that we have our series of quick hits that we always ask. You just gave a shout out to to Sophie, and 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 I wholeheartedly appreciate the though though I may ask you again about any parting shots. But first, real quick, your first tour, who was it? First real tour, um, like leaving the country, was David Bowie. Although I had worked for a number of, uh, I'd worked for. Um, I'd worked for a number of, uh, um, you know, axes like, I don't know, let's see, first big tour. Uh, I'm just going to go back and think. Um, I don't know, first national tour leaving Boston was Robin Lane and the Chartbusters in, in uh, the late 70s. Copy that. Now, We've asked a number of people about their favorite tour, and most of them refrain. They don't want to disrespect anyone. They don't want to come clean. So I'll give you the option of telling us about your favorite tour. But if not, I would ask you to tell us about a highlight. Uh, I, if not the single best moment, a, a great one that you feel like we should okay. we should. Okay, well, I, it's, it's for, for me, hands down, the answer is the same tour. And I'll tell you the quick story. Uh, I was uh, 19, I was the drum roadie, and I would never call myself a technician, that, that didn't exist those days. On David Bowie's Serious Moonlight Tour, it was by far the best learning experience, 
the most I was exposed to. It just it just cemented the beginning of my craft to me. And the final night of that tour, the best story, I'll probably start crying when I talk about it. Uh, December 7th, I believe, and I don't know if I have the date right, it could be the 8th, uh, is the anniversary of John Lennon being shot, killed in New York. And I was a block away when that happened. Um, David Bowie did um, Imagine in Hong Kong um, on the last night of the tour. And the emotions in that building, there were, I don't know, 12,000 people in the building. The emotions in the building ran so high that as they started to play, and then he told the story of the last time he had seen Lennon was in Hong Kong at the market. Um, and they started playing this song and people started crying. First, the band started crying as they were playing it. Then the whole crew started crying. And then the audience was completely in tears and stormed the stage. I mean, and the Chinese police just, just gave up. They just stood back, didn't just let it happen. No one got hurt. It was it was the single most emotional moment I have ever other than I mean, I've had some uh, I've had some other good ones. But other than my daughter being born, um, that was it. And that will forever be special to me. That's a good one. I like that. So. If there was any one thing about the industry you'd like to see us do better. What is it? Show compassion. Simple. It's amazing how many people actually say that. We've heard that from at least four people so far. That is by far the most common answer. I, I, I never anticipated that being the case. Do you feel like we are not compassionate to each other? Do you feel like there? What, can you be a little I, more I specific and, out of curiosity? I mean, let's let's just uh, let's let's look at um, when you and I worked together, and how our hands were tied for some what I felt were basic human needs often, and 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 I felt mm -hmm. there was a true whatever kind of attitude about a lot of things, and and I think that it put both of us often in situations. Uh, which were which were not good. It doesn't take much to be kind to people. It really doesn't. And it will get you leaps and bounds. And listen, man, I've had a contentious life. I've been fired plenty of fucking times. I argued with people. I'm stubborn. I was an asshole. I came across, you know, because I had, a, I realized I had a big lack of self-esteem. And because I was the youngest kid for the longest time, I always felt I had something to prove. And it wasn't until I realized I had really nothing to prove that uh, that and kindness prevailed. And yeah, I think I think it's it's starting to change. But I think I think it was brought up earlier that showing compassion because it's the cool thing to do, or having a benefit because it doesn't fucking absolve you of being a dick. So just don't be a dick. That's that's it. I never want anyone to say Bobby Schneider was a dick. And people said that for a long, long time. And you know what? I meet people now. I might say something to them like, hey, I remember you from. And for a while, I used to ask them, did I yell at you? And if they said yes, I'd say, I'm sorry. If they said no, you're OK. I thought, OK, that's 
one person I didn't yell at. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a hard knock industry and people are greedy. Uh, people are power hungry. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times people work for big artists and feel they're entitled to stuff the artist doesn't even feel they're entitled to. And oftentimes when it boils down to it, when you sit and you talk with the artist, they don't, they're, they're not anything like what everyone says they're like and what they need. So I think we just need more of that. Fair enough. I appreciate that. So Bobby, we'll get you out on this. You already gave a shout out to Sophie. Happy birthday. Any yeah. additional shout outs? My family, uh, to my, to my girlfriend, my life partner, Angie, who is in Maine right now, sitting out COVID with her dogs and, and we're apart and I love her and happy birthday again, Sophie. And, uh, uh I, I am, uh, I am happy to come back, uh, on anything, whether it's multiple, I have a couple of people, maybe we'll talk about bringing back. I really appreciate you guys. Honestly, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I, I love each one of you in your own way. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come back and let's just be kind. Well, Bobby, you've been fantastic. We certainly appreciate and love you too. I'm glad to hear you said that, uh, you're still with Angie because you alluded to being single earlier and I wondered what that meant you you meant in terms well, of just I mean we being I mean, at the I, house yeah, we, yourself we, you know we Angie Angie needed to leave because of you know some family things and we're we're apart I is is what I meant I mean you know I'm single when I wake really? up in the morning because there's no one here but no thanks for asking that we're we're very much a part of each well, other that's excellent. She's a great human. Uh, hello to Angie. Uh, I enjoyed working with her too, having her on the road for that time that she was out with us. Um, she's great. And uh, there it is. Another one in the can. Bobby Schneider, everybody. Fantastic guest. We are two hours in and could just keep on rolling. Again, this is a two-part episode, but I'm sure it is still to be continued. A lot more to talk about, a lot more to unpack to our listeners. As always, send us your questions, HLUB podcast on Instagram or info at hustlelikeyoubroke.com. Check us out, see what we're doing, and uh, and check out Bobby. Check uh, Bobby, do you have any socials or anything like that we should tell no. people about? Nothing. I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Uh, if any of your, if any of your listeners write to you and are interested in, uh, getting in touch with me, you can send me their email. If they email you, I will answer anything I can. I want to say one thing we never talked about. I know we're getting past the time mentoring, mentoring young people, bring young people in. I am really uh, a believer in that. I want to help so if there's young listeners that go, dude, I like what that guy had to say. I want to ask him a question. Feel free to send me the email. I will answer everyone that I can. Lord knows I got plenty of fucking time on my hands to do it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, ain't that the truth. But I, I, mentorship is extremely important to me, too. I'm glad that you brought that up. And uh, there it is, everybody. Appreciate you for listening. Appreciate my co-hosts, Dallas, Banks, 
Kyle, Bobby, you've been great today. Thank you again and good night.